Big Fluff. So Dan's sex doll's been living with me. Um, after he threw her away last week, I, I went and I got her and I took her home. So she's living with me and um, she talks to me. You hear the voice in your head when you're looking at the doll or is the doll? The sound comes from her um, head, from her face, you know? Like she can move her face, like she opens her mouth and stuff and she can like move her eyes and make expressions and stuff. But she can't move her uh, head, like the, the head part of her head. The know? skull? The skull, the, well, the cranium or whatever. It's like kind of frustrating because I have to do everything for her. What kind of stuff do you have to do for her? Um, she made me buy her one of those t-shirts that says the future is female. And she wants a new vagina. She wants like a Cherry Blossom 7 series. You know these? Well, they're expensive. And I told her I couldn't afford it. And she was like, well, you're a fucking dick. So. <laughs> Cody Heller, you're listening to Hobo Radio with Joel Murphy. Is that right, Joel Murphy? And now, your host, miniature dog enthusiast, Joel Murphy. Hello again, I'm Joel Murphy, this is Hobo Radio, and today I am bringing you my interview with the creator of Dummy the semi-autobiographical show on Quibi, Cody Heller. And let me just say, this is a very fun and very unorthodox interview. I, I don't want to spoil the various twists and turns, but it is a unique experience. And I had so much fun talking to Cody Heller. I think you will all really enjoy listening to it. Uh, let me let me just say that normally when I do interviews, I, I kind of have a particular way I like to do it. You know, I kind of lay out, I go chronologically, start early on, you know, how they get into acting and I go through it. And she kind of immediately threw all that out the window. And I, I'm really glad that she did because I think we got something uh, totally different. And I highly encourage you all to listen to it. And then Sincerely, this is my own personal endorsement. I, I've received nothing to say this, but check out Dummy on Quibi. I, I really loved the show. It was the reason that I signed up uh, to check out Quibi, and it lived up and exceeded my expectations. It is a very funny show. Uh, it is great. Cody Heller is great. I, I really loved talking to her. And uh, as you hear, hopefully, maybe this is the the start of her podcasting career. I really tried to sell her on the idea of starting her own podcast. So, so hopefully that happens. And and the last thing I will say before we get into it is, if you're curious about Dummy or you're curious about Quibi, stay through to the end because she uh she actually offers to pay for your subscription. So uh, make sure to to listen for that. And without further ado, here's my talk with Cody Heller.
Okay, can I do something that's maybe like a little unorthodox? Ooh, sure. Yeah. Can I start the conversation by kind of being the host and asking you questions first and then you can ask me questions? Totally. Yeah. Why not? Just because I'm like, cur- I don't know. I'm curious. Not, yeah. that I, not that I'm probably I'm probably terrible at it, but like, let's give it a go. No, let's do it. How did you, Joel Murphy... That you're, that's I'm getting it right. Yes, yes. How did you get into podcasting? Oh, God, I have been doing podcasting for uh, so long. It's embarrassing at this point. Um, I had How a friend, uh, my my friend Lars and I who do this, uh, who like do the show together. We started in like 2008. Uh, really adopt or I like it. Yeah, where all we did originally was talk about the Dark Knight like the, it was just like it was like a month of just talking about batman together oh <laughs> yeah that um, sounds, i mean i don't mean to offend you i like you a lot and yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. It, it, that sounds a little incelly <laughs> see but luckily <laughs> this was before dark night this was pre-incel like that wasn't as well so okay. like we could and no one was listening so it was fine okay okay, uh, okay. and we're both married now so like that it worked out yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, yeah, but okay. Any other? What else do you got? What else do you want to know? Um, no, you didn't fully answer my question. Oh. Like what? What? Okay. What was? What were you doing before? Po- directly before podcasting, and then what propelled you into the world of podcasting? And was the thing that made you be like, I want to do that? And then what was your first experience like? Put, you know, dipping your toe in the podcast waters. Uh, so I have uh, a pop culture site, which I started even before the podcast. So I was doing that uh, and I was writing and I was doing interviews for that. Like I actually started that site in 2005 uh, and I was doing interviews there, like print interviews. Uh, and I was writing a, an opinion column. And then eventually it was just like, like I said, I had a friend who was like super into podcasts and I didn't understand what they were. And then he was explaining it to me. And I, where were you living during? Where, oh, where were you living? Uh, I was living uh, outside of Baltimore in 2005. Like I was. You know where I was, you're from or no? Yeah, I'm from Maryland. Okay. Okay. All right. Keep going. So. Uh, so I had like a day job uh, when I started the site. I was working in a library and. Uh, oh. Um, were you a yeah. librarian? No, no. You have to go. You have to have a ton of school to be a librarian. Didn't so. have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't have any of that. So I was a circulation assistant. So um, was your job to to take the little carts and put things back in? That was my first. That's a page. That was the first uh, like job that I had, and then I worked my way up to circulation that's assistant, that's where that was a better job because then you just checked out the books, so you actually got to be. Did you do the stamping? Uh, yeah. So I would stamp the cards and I would scan, uh, you know, for their account. And then I would answer the phone because people would call all the time and like, be like, uh, I returned this book, but you're saying I owe money on it. And so I'd have and to look that up. This, um, what was the, uh, I can't recall the name of the filing system. The Dewey Decimal the, system? Or? Dewey Decimal. So was this yeah. Dewey Decimal days? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Guess what? You want to know something interesting? I remember in high school somewhere we had access, my friends and I found access to this like abandoned library and there was a whole Dewey Decimal system uh, armoire basically like a like a cabinet full of them and we stole a bunch of them and we made these like, we were such fucking hipster assholes. We, made, <laughs> like, we could make them into like Valentine's Day cards because it would be like 
you know, you'd you'd be like, oh, it's an Anais Nin book, or like you would find something that had some sort of meaning, and then you would like be like, dear so and so, like. Um, but anyway, I'm a big fan of Dewey Decimal in terms of aesthetics. Okay, um, sure. Okay, so keep going. So that so so you were working at this library, and yeah. you worked your way up from page, and then now you're doing this like answering the phones. But it was like, a lot of so the branch that I was working at was really small, and there were only like five of us or something yeah but the particular like so there was different branches and the one i was working i was really small and it was kind of slow and i was the only circulation person so if you called you talked to me if you checked out books you talked to me and i was bored because there wasn't like a lot of high traffic so i actually started a lot of circulation (laughs) no uh and maybe you'll appreciate this one of my favorite things about that too was we actually we had to keep behind the counter all of the romance novels that were like modern uh they were like uh you know like they took place in cities like they were this very particular type of romance novel that uh would always get stolen because i think people were embarrassed oh my God, to check them out so, oh that's so sad it's so like but it's the same yeah it's like things but, that they put in the things that, at walgreens behind the things that are the most yeah but, but the it is really sad. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say no. So the hilarious part is like these like older women would come in and they didn't Mm -hmm. care and they would stand there and be like, let me see that one. And then they'd like look at it like right in front of me and like flip through it and then be like, okay, yeah, next one. Like, so they just, they would like, yeah, because that was the only way they could like flip through them. So that reminds me. uh, And they would wait, they wouldn't check it out. No, 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 they would check it out, but they would like, they weren't gonna check out just any one of them. Like, they, they, they want, they had their eye on the prize. Yeah, yeah. So they're gonna read the back. They're gonna see if it's one that they want to get before Obviously. yeah two things that, that makes me think of i hope i remember both but the first thing is that i um i always remember when 50 shades of gray came out like being on planes or being in airports and having and like seeing a woman reading it next to me because it was just like it was in pop culture and people were reading it and i was like i've read like i did read the first one and i was like so i'm literally sitting next to like a woman right now who I know for sure is wet. Like, because I know know that it's designed to make a woman feel wet. So like you're reading that on a plane. It just, it seems so strange to me. Um, The other thing that it reminded me of your, your story about working in the library was that with the, with the uh, romance novels was that I remember so clearly when I was like, I don't know how old, like probably 10, 11, 12, um, my aunt and uncle at their house in one of their bathrooms, they had some romance novels and they were like really like by the toilet, like with also like magazines of like, <laughs> and they were really hardcore, like said, it was the first time I learned the word clitoris. And I thought it was, I was pronouncing it clitoris when I read it for the first time. But I remember like, I would go and pretend to take a shit and then just like, <laughs> for like so long and i'm like to this day i'm like i really hope aunt Arlene never fucking guessed that i'm so it's so <laughs> terrible but i think it's really interesting that culturally you know we respond to these things because they are taboo and like knowing that the things are behind the counter at the library it's so funny and then i was i just listened to um tony morrison's the bluest eye and like she reads it and it's incredible but like there is a scene that is so there are scenes that are so sexual in a way that like i didn't read that book when i was a kid but if i had i probably would have been turned on by it just because it was like one of the it would have been one of the early things that exposed me to any sexuality so 
anyway, I think it's all very interesting. Um, I love that you worked in a library. That's so cool. So then while you were working at the libraries, then when you sort of found so, your way into podcasting. Yeah. So I started a website first and then the podcast. And the funny, like weird part of that too, is because I answered the phone uh, a lot. I would get people on the phone who'd be like, you have such a nice voice. Like, I think they built me up like, you know, in my head where they yeah, were like, like, oh, maybe I have, there's something here. Yeah. You there was actually, oh, well, thank you. Uh, if you were, but, uh, no, there was a woman I remember she wanted me to, she tried to set me up with her daughter like once, but based on my voice, she had no idea what I look like. I met you. Yeah. I could be terrible, but, but apparently I had a nice voice. So what do you think about my voice? Be I like honest. <laughs> Don't hold barred. Like, be for real with me. I want to know. It's very low. It is, but it's. I think you have a distinct voice, uh, which is good. I have been noticing now that I've been doing a couple of these interviews with, like, for dummy stuff. Yeah, I can't listen back and watch back. I cringe so hard because I sound like a valley girl. And guess what? It's because I am. I'm not a valley girl. I'm a valley woman. I'm an adult, (laughs) but I am from the valley, and I still live in the valley. And I sound like it. And it's it's to listen to myself speak or look at myself on camera is like nails on a chalkboard. It's so awful. It's um, does but no, do you like my voice? Do you think I have a future in podcasting and vocal? Like, what do you what are your thoughts? Yes. Build me up. Uh, well, first of all, yeah, I think anyone, uh, you know, this isn't like a way to discourage because I do like your voice legitimately. I think you have a, a distinct voice. And I think that's more important because like think about like Ira Glass. You know what I mean? Like Ira Glass doesn't have like a thing is that Ira Glass and um, what's his name? Uh, a boom rod with uh, uh, oh, the yeah, guy who does radio radio lab. lab yeah. Jad a boom rod. Yeah. They have such similar voice to me for some reason and I don't know if it's just my own thing but like I always think of them as such a similar like cadence and tonal quality and I do think anyway. there's an NPR voice yes yeah <laughs> think I, no not me no they no. Do. no they have an NPR voice which is very like you know I, if I were to say decide to start a podcast mm-hmm. what would you recommend like what would you say is like how did you decide now that you have the existing show that you have? What's your hook? How did you say, like, this is what my hobo trash can? That's what it's called, right? The podcast is Hobo Radio. Because, again, confusingly, oh, yeah. because we started this in 2008, we, we one, put the word radio in it because radio, <laughs> because that. that was how early in podcast it was. That, like, yeah. you, you had to make it clear, like, what it was. Uh, yeah. But, uh, uh, but no, so we made the mistake, too, of, like, we just were, like, pop culture. Because it's like so vague that that covers anything. But I do think now, because podcasts are so popular, that like you have to have a very more specific. Uh, you gotta pitch. get a gimmick. Yeah. You gotta get. You gotta get a, a tagline. You gotta get an elevator pitch. Yeah, I start because I started a second podcast during quarantine because I was very bored. And uh, what is that? And that one is more specific. So that one, it's Silver Linings Playback. And we watch uh, movies that people like malign for some reason. And then we try to find something that we like about them. I like that a lot. I, yeah. I can relate to that as someone who, you know, right now has a show where I'm like very frightened of the reception because of the platform and all. Like I am, I, I like that idea so much of, of exploring that that's beautiful well if you want to come on that one you can you can do all the podcasts like i'll i'll do anything honestly these days in quarantine i got nothing but time all right uh what else you got do you have more questions for me or did i cover um, it let's see what's your deepest darkest secret that you have 
It doesn't have to be that you've never told anyone, but something that you are feel vulnerable about that like talking about it is me being like, whoa, I got a great interview because I got him to do that. I think it, like if I'm, so I'm going to take this uh, how you said it of like a good interview that probably I don't talk about like on this show that people wouldn't know is just that like I've been trying in recent years to like really be more vulnerable and to be more open and like I've been going to therapy like I've just been trying to like work on myself and uh, be happy and like I, I had a tendency when I was younger to like be very closed off and like to feel like I had to do everything on my own. And now like I, I've realized the importance of having other people like, and I've just been the more open that I've been to that, you know, it's like made my life a lot better, but yeah, that's definitely something that like, I don't tend to get into all that much. I think that's beautiful. And I thank you for sharing that with me. Sure. I, I did sort of mean more like I know you wanted like dirt just secret like I was yeah. gonna tell you like recently during quarantine I found that like I've been having a lot of fun doing this thing where like when my Dan my fiance when we're in bed together I will like do like a stealth masturbation session that like the goal is to be quiet enough that he doesn't even hear and then like right after I'll be like I just did that like <laughs> And that something about the the having to keep myself quiet thing. Mm -hmm. It adds. This, you know what it is? It's like that feeling of when you're um, when you're like in class and you're a kid and you're joking around and goofing off and like laughing with someone. And then the teacher like gives you like a warning and then, you know, you can't laugh anymore. Yeah. And then like the thing happens again and you're like, oh, my God, fuck, like holding in that laughter is such a powerful. Yeah. Like, that's the same sort of thing when you're like trying to have an orgasm, but trying to be on the DL about it. Yeah. How about these? So I thought about this. I don't know if this will qualify for you, but okay. uh, when we were talking about the library and we were talking about you, what was when you were talking about the books the, in the bathroom? Uh, yeah, yeah. I did remember. I remember this recently uh, when I was younger and I used to spend summers at my grandparents' house and um, there, like my grandfather had a friend who had like an illegal cable hookup and so what he would do is he would just record every single video like movie on demand onto vhs tapes and he would put multiple ones on the same vhs tape and yeah. and so when i was there like it was just me with my grandparents for the summer and like that was kind of the deal i could go over and i could pick out any movie that i wanted and the, he had, them? would they be like he, he would label like, them and they would have multiple movies on the same tape but one of the tape but so one of the tapes had showgirls and a kid in King Arthur's court. <laughs> and so I had to pretend that I wanted to see. <laughs> oh, King and King Arthur. Which I watched so with fun. my grandparents. So that. And then, you would watch and then when they went to bed, when they went to bed. Yeah, I snuck out and watched showgirls. That's, That's how I saw showgirls. Back in the day, I am old enough. I'm 35. When I was little, my parents still had like porno, like VHS tapes. And I remember they were divorced, but like they each had their own private collection of different, but but both tasteful and beautiful in their own ways, um, but their own collections of VHS porn. And like, I remember whenever they would leave the house and leave me alone when I was like 14, 15, they'd be like, I'm going to the market, I'll be back. I would like rush to like 
watch the thing. I knew the time code and I would re rewind it back to the time code that it started so that I wouldn't be caught and put it back <laughs> and be like, hey, I do, uh, here are times. I do remember my brother and I pillow fighting in my parents' room and like we picked up, my brother picked up a pillow and hit me with it and under the pillow was, it, and I still remember the name, Edward Penis Hands was the... <laughs> <laughs> No, that was the, the, the porno. That was the porno that was like under my dad's pillow. Oh, precious Edward penis hands. Yeah. I think you can guess the premise. Like if you. That's so beautiful that your dad was such a, like, what a connoisseur. What a, what a classy man. I think it's also possible that my dad hadn't seen Edward Scissorhands. But... So it was totally unrelated. It was yeah. not a <laughs> at all to the original. Yeah. He was not a fan. It was just, okay, that's great. <laughs> Uh, um all right well i think that that i think we got some good dark secrets yeah i think um so you, you're in la i am other, yeah. other question you're in la now yeah my uh, wife and i moved out here four years ago i think at this point from maryland yeah from baltimore the whole time you were there would it like I lived in, you're asking if I lived in Maryland the whole time before I moved yeah. out here. I did live in Boston for a little while. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I think, uh, I asked all the questions I planned on asking. Okay. All right. Oh, what did you think of dummy? Oh, I loved it. I told you that like when I reached out to you, uh, I, I yeah. will even admit to you that I, I got Quibi to watch dummy because I really you wanted to see it. I did, yeah. That's okay. Is it because you are like a Dan Harmon, Rick and Morty fan, and that's how you discovered, how you came across the dummy world? Uh, I am a Dan Harmon, um, like, community Harmontown. I do really like Rick and Morty, but, like, I, I, I really love community, and then I started listening to Harmontown, and I remember, like, hearing about it there, so... That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time coming. This thing I originally wrote, you know, four plus years ago that was just supposed to be like a sample pilot. And it's it's cool now there's a thing and I'm really proud of it. And I I had such a great time making it. And um, like, I hope more people watch it. I know that the Quibi thing has been really polar, not even polarizing. I know that it just overall people have this distaste for Quibi and I guess I understand just in the times that we're in wanting to like have a have people to hate on and I guess that's a thing but it's like it does suck because I made a show that I I do and who knows maybe I'm fucking delusional and the show sucks and like if that's the case like I guess everyone tell me but don't be too mean about it it's like but I I'm like I am I'm proud of the show and I was excited for her to come out. And then, you know, Quibi is just shit upon and it was this thing. And now I do find myself being like defensive on of Quibi on Twitter where I'm like, I'll pay for it. No, like, stop you guys. Like, because I truly believe I could not have made this thing anywhere else. Jeffrey Katzenberg, to his credit, fucking read these. I, I had seven 15 minute scripts because it was originally developed somewhere else. And it was, you know, went through this process, but like, he believed in he got the scripts and i think that's fucking cool and they gave me so much artistic freedom and i had just like the best most fulfilling uh experience of my life working on it from start middle to finish 
Um, so it's, it's hard because I'm just like, well, all you guys just are hating on this thing, but like, I don't know. I've watched some of the, uh, of the other shows on there and I think there's some good stuff. Like I really do. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing to contend with. Cause I'm also just like, well, there's so many other real things going on in the world right now. Like who the fuck cares? People hate on this platform and you made a show on it. Who the fuck cares? But it is there. I do get like, I can't. I can't lie and say that I don't get like, oh, why is everyone here? I got my show. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What other questions? How do you normally do the podcast? I feel like I hijacked it from the beginning and uh, I kind of, I apologize. But I feel like you had fun. No, no, no. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, no, yeah. Normally I do like a, you would be more chronologically. I would have started uh, when you were young and like gone through your career, but now, now, yeah, we're, we're off, we're off the map. So I don't know if you want to go back. I don't know if you want to keep talking about dummy. I, think keep go- I don't know. Keep going. Or I don't know if you want to know about when I'm young, I guess I can <laughs> stir, up, stir up some stories. Like. Uh, <laughs> from LA. Oh Yeah. <laughs> I told you. I already. Yeah, I already told you. I'm from the valley. Yeah. Why? Well, well, I know too that your your mom is Randy Heller, actress who was in the Karate Kid. So my mom is Mrs. Larusso. Was is oh, she's alive? Yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> the character of Mrs. Larusso, Lucille Larusso, um, in the Karate Kid. Is her, her name is Lucille? I did not. What? I didn't know her name was Lucille. I don't. Th- do they no, say? I, no, no, the character. Yeah, Lucille Larusso. Yeah. And, she was cast as an Italian. In reality, we're Jewish, but that's a common thing. But I think that's interesting now to bring up because I think we're having these conversations about representation and all these things are we're, we have to discuss these things. But I mean, I'm not going to discuss. I think my mom, I'm glad she took the, the job, even though it, maybe it should have gone to an Italian. I think she she nailed it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, an interesting, totally random, small Hollywood world factoid was that so my mom was in The Karate Kid with Elizabeth Shue, who mm-hmm. played the love interest of Ralph Macchio. This was in the, I was born in 85. I think the movie came out in either 84 or 85. And then years later, I'm in my early 20s. And one of my one of my very early jobs in Hollywood is I have an interview to be the assistant to this guy named Davis Guggenheim, who directed An Inconvenient Truth. He's this documentary filmmaker but also does like pilots he did like the pilot for um deadwood and he's you know and i want to be a director at this point i graduated from film school with a film degree in directing so i'm working for him and but on at the interview i google him the night before and i realized that he is married to elizabeth shoe oh wow so the next day in the interview i'm like this is so random i don't hope this doesn't look insane but like my mom and your wife were in a movie like 25, you know, however long ago, um, the karate kid. And, and then I wound up working for them for three years. And Lisa Elizabeth Shue is like the most amazing woman in the world. And was like, totally, you know, was like, you look like your mom. It was just like this, this small world Hollywood moment that I was like, Oh, this is, this is tender. And also just the fact that Lisa Elizabeth and Davis have just this really incredible marriage was a really good thing for me to see early on in my Hollywood making the rounds of assistant jobs to see that I think was a really cool thing. Um, 
Cause I also had, I just, I had a, you know, my starting off just being assistants, like I was Michael Bay's assistant for a year. Um, so I had like a, to- I ra- a very different genre crossing over of, of things and eventually finding my way into like TV comedy it was its own sort of twisty journey, but I'm glad I'm here now, now a 10 minute, 10 minute comedy now. <laughs> uh, what, what year was Michael Bay? Like, what was he working on when you were his assistant? Um, the main movie that I worked on was the Island starring okay. Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson. Steve Buscemi was a part in it. And it was a really cool experience because I got to go on location. Oh, nice. And I, I was like Michael's on-set assistant. Like he had an executive assistant. I was his like on-set assistant. And this was such a random fucking turn of events. But basically, when I was a kid, my whole life, my dad is a photographer. And we've always gone on trips to Death Valley and like the desert areas of California and he we would go on these road trips and he would take pictures and when we were all a family and my parents were married and my sister was home we would go on these trips together but when the fa- when my sister went off to college my parents split it wound up just being like me and my dad would go on these road trips to the desert all the time and one of the things in addition to like going and taking pictures of beautiful things and hiking and going to the salt flats and shooting BB guns at rusted cans like we had all these like little traditions but one main thing would just be that we would go around and sort of like meet random pe- people. So we would go to like a ghost town and meet all the people that lived in this ghost town where there's a population of like 50, you know, and just these random uh, meetings with with very interesting strangers. So when I was like 14 years old, we're driving to Death Valley. We're, we're, it, we're on our trip, but Death Valley crosses over between California and Nevada. So in Nevada, prostitution, sex work is legal. And this, I was, I was around 14 at the time of this initial story. Um, so we're going into this little town called Beatty, Nevada. It has like one stoplight. It's just like this little town. And we're driving through and there's this sign that says Angels Ladies Brothel. And it's like this bright neon sign. And then there's like this plane wreckage. It's like this weird setup that looks like an art installation. And then down the road, there's like two double wide pink trailers. And my dad, who's driving, turns to me and he's like, hey, um, have you ever been to a brothel? And I was like, no. And he was like, do you know what a brothel is? And I was like, yeah, I think so. And he's like, let's just check this out for a second. Hang on. And so he like pulls in, he like parks the car. He's like, hang out for a second. I'm going to go inside and like suss it out. He comes back a couple of minutes later. He's like, all right, come in. And I'm like, they're going to let me in. Like, I don't have ID, whatever. And he's like, he made up some story to the owner that, you know, he was planning a bachelor party for, uh, you know, a brother that doesn't exist and his daughter's in the car and it's hot. Can I come in? So I went in, we went into Angel's Ladies. They, from my recollection, it was so long ago, it's hard to say if it's, if it's really true or not, but from my memory of it, they did do the lineup. We wound up like meeting these women and talking to them. And next thing you know, like that November, we had like Thanksgiving dinner with them, like me, my sister, my dad, and just these women that we met that, and, you know, just became friendly with them. Cut to fucking, I don't know, 10 years later, I'm working for Michael Bay. We're shooting this movie, The Island. 
We're staying in Beatty, Nevada at literally a hotel, the Motel 6 that is walking distance from the brothel. <laughs> and we didn't wind up going, but like we, we wound up going to the Stagecoach, which is like this cool casino, old timey like hotel thing. And I was like hanging out with the crew and the actors and being and being able to tell them like, this is how crazy is this? Like I'm friends with the women that work over there at the brothel. Like, I literally have like my keychain as Angels Ladies. Oh, like this, this is probably like illegal, but like this out of business sign. Do you see that? I do. Yeah. That is, that's the last relic of Angels Ladies. That's oh, they don't exist. Kind of, it closed down. And uh, when we went there the last time, I, I took that from there and I treasure it. And it's the one piece of real art that I own because it has so much value to me. Yeah. Um, anyway. That's my Hollywood story. <laughs> um, I I wish you had gone back. Like, uh, well, it sounds like you did go back eventually. But yeah, like, I love the idea of like you going there when you were young and then like, like you updating oh, them on your know. life. Over the years, we would go to Angel's Ladies every time we went to Death Valley. We would stop <laughs> in and bring them. There's no alcohol allowed in the house. So we would bring them. My dad would bring them like Doritos and stuff. And I'd be like, Dad, they don't want Doritos. Like, they're like, come on, let's get them. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I would have had that's a better pitch than Doritos. They loved it. But like, it was just, they became our friends. And it was, I think, you know, not, this sounds condescending to me, but like, for me to say, but like, I do think that that was an important thing that, you know, if someone told me, oh, at 14, their father took them to a brothel, I'd be like, oh, whoa, that sounds sketchy. But like, the reality of it was, no, my dad wasn't going there to like, have sex with these women, no judgment to people, but like, obviously you don't do that with your kid there. But the fact that he humanized like sex workers for me at such a young age, I do think was something that like, I'm very grateful for because now my fascination with sexuality and just that world, I think I was able to like be more open to that at an early age because of angels ladies. And I, you know, I treasure them deeply. No, and I, I think that's super important because that is something uh, with a lot of shows and movies, unfortunately, like tend to to punch down and like kind of make, you know, like punch down is not the right way, but like they make a lot of jokes about sex workers and it's like, a you know, there's like I this kind of narrative, you I know. Think, I think that's starting to change so much finally and very recently and I'm hoping that for this change, but like, you know, I love watching Law & Order SVU because it's just like the soothing thing that I like to watch. But now, given the state of the world, I'm like, holy shit, this is so problematic. It glorifies like rogue police officers being heroes. It like criminalizes and makes like BIPOC people look like criminals. It's just like, it's terrible all around. And just knowing that like, okay, now we have to be aware of that moving forward. And, and just in the same way that like you were talking about Earlier, I feel like you were talking about feeling represented by a certain character in something, but maybe that was a different conversation I was having. Anyway, the point is, I think representation matters so much. And I think, um, you know. Yeah. I don't know if it's a tangent and I can't remember, but might remind me of my original point and then I'll remember. Uh, well, it's just, yeah, just I think the important of of like the way that we represent people and specifically like we were talking about sex workers, but like the fact that they're often, you know, not given like there, it tends to be this like joke narrative that's very reductive. Totally. It's either a joke or like, yeah, law and order. It's it's yeah. just the truth. 
exhibiting and especially with transgender women, like this new documentary Disclosure on Netflix, which I highly recommend. It just exposes so glaringly to me, like, oh my God, how problematic so much, so much of everything has been. Um, but I feel like we're finally now working on doing better with all of that. Yeah, no, and I, I do think it's so important right now just because, you know, they're, the more like these conversations that we're having, but like, yeah, examining like that everything's political in a way, like because to to make a show that's a procedural about cops where they always get it right. And like every week, like yeah. like that is you're you're stating something, you know, like we might look at it as like it's law and order. It's fun. And I like law and order. It's a great show. But like, yeah, just examining that more of like what what TV is saying and why it's saying it and why we choose the narratives that we choose, I think is super important. Completely. I agree. Uh, so, okay. So you were, you were an assistant for a while. You were kind of like, but you're, you always wanted to be a writer. You, well, you mentioned a director too. Like what was your, what did you envision? Okay. Growing up, wanted to be an actress. Mom was an actress, wanted to be an actress wanted to be like a child actress. Like, because I lived in LA and my mom was an actress, I was like under this impression that I could like become like the Olsen twins. Like I remember meeting the Olsen twins once, running into them once at a park in the Valley. And I was so like starstruck, but we were like the same age. And I remember being like, I'm gonna approach them. Just like have a, <laughs> and they were, I'm sure they're lovely now, but they were a little bitchy, but we were like five. <laughs> like, they're so lovely now. But I was like, I, I, I feel like I did it wrong. I was like, just want to say like I'm big fans and like, you know, but I was like so inappropriate and, you know, it was just, it was a terrible disaster. Anyway, love the Olsen twins, but um, always just had this desire and this dream of like being an actress and would listen to like musicals and my mom and I would sing all these musicals. And it was just very much part of like my upbringing was like dressing up and putting on shows and making my whole family sit in front of me, like doing the whole little mermaid, like from top to bottom, like, and they just all indulged me. And I was like the, you know, the second child and the, the, you know, it was just constant indulgement. And I went to, because I grew up in LA. Oh, one thing that I think I, I am very grateful to my mom for is that like, I wanted to be a child actress. I wanted to like start working professionally. And my mom was like, as soon as you get your license, as soon as you you turn 16 and you have your license, you can do whatever you want, but I am definitely not driving you to auditions. I already have to drive myself to auditions. And by the time I was 16, I was in an arts high school where I had started in the theater department. I played Mama Rose and Gypsy in 10th grade, um, a stirring performance that uh, I... <laughs> hope I can sometime someday find on VHS because it was I really gave it my all um but then also in addition to the these the the theater stuff at that school there were also tv studio classes and directing classes and all these amazing they didn't at the time this is LOXA Los Angeles County High School for the Arts where I went at the time they didn't have a dedicated film program but now they do so at the time it was just theater but they started incorporating more film classes and the more I took of those and the more I dated like boyfriends who were older like not uh, illegally older, but just like my, you know, senior boyfriend who worked at Vidiots and like he would introduce me to all these movies. The more I got into like the, like the, the idea of telling stories and not, not just being an actress, but I think it definitely kind of 
went the direction it did because part of it was like seeing my mom start to get older and seeing what it was like for an actress at that age and just seeing the reality of Hollywood and like how how much your youth and beauty is tied to your value, which is something that I aim to hopefully make some small change in, in if, if I continue working in this industry, if I'm lucky, if I'm lucky enough. Um, but that, and then um, my dad was a, is a photographer and he worked at Art Center, College of Design in Pasadena. And so I could get free tuition going to that school, which is like, a really expensive, good school for arts. And they only had a directing program. They didn't have a, and I still didn't know, like I was making, you know, in high school, these TV studio classes, I was making these little things and it was so cool. Like we had three camera system and sh like, you know, just learning the craft of this stuff. And I was figuring out what my thing was, but I didn't know necessarily then that I wanted to like do comedy, but looking back, all the things were like darkly comedic. Uh, but I wound up making a reel getting accepted to art center for directing, going for directing, but like also took some writing classes, took that year off to work for Michael Bay, who was a graduate of, of art center. So it was first an internship, but then like one of his assistants quit. So I wound up taking over, taking a full year off from art center to work for him, then going back, finishing. Um, and then when I, when I graduated, I was kind of figure, I graduated with this reel of like directing material. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to like, like after working for some directors, I started realizing like, I don't, I definitely don't want to like direct for other people. I would want to maybe write and direct my own stuff. But the first time I saw the TV, TV writer's room was, you know, working for Davis. And that was the moment where I was like, oh my God, love, this is what I, that this is what it is. This is what I love. Um, which for Dummy and Quibi was a little different because there wasn't a traditional writer's room, which I do think is part of what I love so much about TV writing is the, um, socialization and the camaraderie and the like every idea leads to a better idea and just that energy I feed off of um but I forget what the original question was <laughs> I was just trying to in general just kind of figure out yeah your trajectory uh yeah, but no I think you're good now yeah. I will say like I when I wrote dummy I did want to star in it and Dan was going to play Dan um, now I'm glad that it worked out the way it did because Anna was amazing. And I found like not only a, a Cody in her, but like a partner in the creative of the whole entire project. So it worked out for the best and I'm so happy, but I still definitely do have like that itch to write, direct and act. But at the same time, I cannot stand watching myself or listening to myself on video or audio. Like watching any of these interviews that I've done over the past couple of weeks. Like I, I cringe so much, but I you just, know. you have to push through that. Yeah. Like I've, I've years and years of editing my audio. Like I, I yeah, I think we all feel that way. Yeah, but you just, you have a great voice. My voice is a little, it's strange. It's, it's, a, it's, it's unique, but it's no, it's, that's good. I think unique is good. It's distinct. Like you, cause I will also say that cause listening to a lot of podcasts, the shows where everybody sounds the same, get really confusing. And sometimes really? I, I have a unique voice. Yeah. No, I think it's good. I think your voice is good and you should do a podcast. And I think, you think I should do a podcast? yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, you just interviewed me for like 30 minutes at the start of this one. Like that's, that's it. I, did I, did I get the hard hitting, but like, do you think that I could like legitimately make go at this? Like, I think Fuck so. My 
career transition straight up to podcasting. No, there's way more money in writing. I I don't think you should quit. Like, but I think you should do both. Like you could, you know. All right. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, All right. So I promised we were getting uh, to dummy, but I did because I wanted to ask about like before that, when you were talking about writer's rooms, uh, yeah. I know that one of the shows that you wrote for was Wilfred, uh, yeah. which is a show I really loved, uh, not to be name droppy, but I did interview Jason Gann when the show came ah, out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I really liked him. I really liked that show. But I, I was I was particularly curious because uh, when writing Dummy, like I was curious with that experience of like, obviously, they are very different shows, but they, but they have a similar thing in that, like, there's a main character that interacts with something yeah. that I'm only totally- they- I think there's one draft where I make a joke about that <laughs> in the script. And then I was like, mm, I should probably, that's getting a little too meta, but no, they're completely, I mean, it, it, they are very similar. And I think that um, there are lots of shows and movies that yeah. adhere to that same thing. But I do think that I had such an incredible time working on Wilfred and crafting those stories. And um, that was the room that I sort of like learned my craft and got to be like, got to, figure out how to write scripts like as a job and not just like as this, you know, random inspiration striking thing. Um, so I credit so much to Wilfred and I'm actually working one of, one of the writers on Wilfred, Eli Journey, like we, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of the Wilfred people, but like Eli and I have collaborated on stuff since he actually was like, when, when dummy was set up at um, TBS, he was a consulting producer on that. And like, yeah, have continued friendships with all those people because that show was just such that was it was a show that I was a fan of the first season and then got to work on the second and third season and was like this is so fucking amazing and it was just great and everyone was awesome um and just a really great way to learn how to write tv because in a way it is very formulaic but that's it it, having it reduced to that in a way helps you as a writer because you have some boundaries and so you can kind of like hone your craft more within that of being like Ryan has a problem like Wilfred offers the answer the answer is the right thing to do but Ryan rebels against that and like being able to do that not that I did that with dummy at all but like just having that as a early writer was such a great um tool to be able to feel like freedom and I remember one really amazing moment from my time working on Wilfred was that we were working on have you seen like all the episodes or no I I have but it's been years at this point so I yeah yeah yeah. there was this one episode that's like about ayahuasca and uh I think it was in the second season and basically it was just like one of these amazing, I'll always remember it types of work moments where like I had a writing partner at the time, me and Brett, and we were staff writers and we got assigned this script and like, we hated it. Like we left the room that day being like, I don't, this doesn't, this like story doesn't really inspire me or make any sense, like whatever it was. And all everyone knew, like the showrunner knew it had problems, but was like, just go try to see if you can outline it and let's see what we're working with tomorrow. And I was like, it was our first season there and I really wanted to prove ourselves. And I was just like, this isn't right. And we stayed in the garage of the building, me and Brett in in his car for like five hours and rebroke a totally new story, totally new and presented it the next day in the room and everyone loved it. And we oh. got to write that. And like, they barely made any, ch- and, you know, in TV, the reality is 
most of the time, every episode is at least to some degree rewritten by the showrunner. You know, that's just like a given. Yeah. Um, but for this ayahuasca episode, it was very little rewriting. And it was this one thing where I was like, oh, because it came from this true place of it came from this place of me being like, I don't want to settle for less than like this story. Yes, I could make it work. I could tie these pieces together and craft it into a story that makes sense and is a full thing. But like, I want to do that. It was just this, this, you know, kind of Tracy Flick. I, uh, I was just so motivated to be like, I'm going to come up with the best version of it. <laughs> no, that's um, great. But Wilford was incredible. I've been so I've been so fortunate to work on so many cool shows that like I can honestly say the majority of my friend group are people from the shows that I've worked on over the course of my, you know, 10 plus years in the business. Like all my dearest friends are like in some way from my jobs. All right. So now, dummy, we're here. We're going to. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we kind of questions about dummy on other Things. So I want to, I want to like come up with fresh, I don't want to sound like I have like rehearsed my like whole dummy spiel of like how it came. I mean, you know how it came to be, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I listened to her. I feel like it's almost better if you explain it and then okay. I can, like, I can weigh in with like, Oh, this, that, and the other. Cause okay. I feel like I've been on, yeah, I've told the story so many times and now I'm like, I, I got like you. I got you. All. Yeah. Okay. So Dan Harmon, uh, your fiance, uh, he has a sex doll. And by the way, I, I just want you to know, so th I first wrote this like four and a half years ago. We've now been together four and a half. Five. I wrote this yeah. like four years ago. We've almost been together five years. I proposed to him. I don't know if you know this little I fact. Do. I do. You do you know? No, I do and know he's this. he's going to take my last name. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did know that. Like, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, now I know all these answers. Like, like for I'm... him, <laughs> it's a boon because if you Google his name right now, there's there's some great stuff but like there's also some bad stuff so for him it's a it's a new start dan heller and for me i'm like if we're gonna dismantle the patriarchy ever can we start by at least acknowledging that like every why is it just normal for every woman to always take the dude's last name can, for a second can we examine that and whatever anyway okay so dummy well, you're gonna oh, shit. but hold on it. do you mind i actually yeah. uh so I have a weird, like I have a, I met Dan Harmon one time story, yeah. but it is related to all of this. Um, yeah. So my wife and I got married uh, in November of 2018. Oh my God, you got engaged right after that. Well, yeah. So here's the funny thing. This is why I'm telling you this story. My wife proposed to me. And uh, so this was right before... <laughs> yeah. So uh, when we moved out here from Baltimore, like it was this like really rough point in my life. I had this day job and I, uh, had like gotten let go from there. And like, then our landlord told Wait, us was it a library job or something. No, else? no, no. This was years later. This is, okay. uh, okay. yeah, yeah. But no. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I was working for a place. I got let go from there. Um, and then we were living together, but then our landlord was like, I'm, you were renting like the bottom half of a guy's house. And he came to us and was like, I'm selling the house. Uh, so Within like a month, I lost my job and uh, and we lost our place. And uh, my wife has some health issues and she was starting to have health issues. Oh, and it was no. just so it was just this like terrible time in our lives. And like I knew that I wanted to be with her, but it was just like in my head, I was like, I, I can't propose to her. I've like I don't have anything uh, to offer. And oh. so then she ended up proposing to me, which totally caught me off guard. And it was beautiful. And 
Uh, what's that? Did she get you a ring? So she actually, uh, there was kind of this inside joke. She ordered these rings that were from the Simpsons. Like the, there's the, the stone cutter episode of the Simpsons where they talk about two people in the family have a special ring. And then it's Bart and Lisa have like little kazoo rings. So, so she found those on Etsy, <laughs> like, but, but then she couldn't wait for them to come <laughs> before proposing. So she ended up proposing to me just one night randomly because she were was just like, at, where were you at home? We were at home. We were in bed and it was just like, it just hit her. Like it was this nice was moment. Total surprise for you? Total surprise. Like I had no I'm idea. Story right. Oh, I'm just, that's her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Her in yeah, yeah. Molly, you got to come in. Bring a pair of headphones. So you can oh my hear. God, yeah. Mo Molly, is that her name? Molly, yeah. Molly, oh my God, I love this. <laughs> I am all for this this movement of women proposing to men. Okay, so I've, I gotta plug her in so she can hear you. Hi. Molly, how are you? I'm good. Here, hold on, well, let You're me. I know you. Wait, don't I, aren't we friends on, on Instagram? Yes, you follow me after <laughs> I made. Reganart, right? Molly Reganart, yeah. I know who you are. I'm amazed <laughs> that you recognized me. Right, here, of course, girl. <laughs> now you get to hear the correct story of how I proposed to my husband. I feel like you and I met, I feel like we messaged once about this, but I want to hear, yes, yes. I did, I did actually say this because I was like, I must have this known. <laughs> um, so this is mostly right, but but we had this inside joke because so Joel had asked me to move in. He had been the first one to say, I love you. And we had sort of had this joke of him being like, man, I do all of the like emotional heavy lifting. Like you're going to have to be the one to to propose and me in like my like super like. I am ultra riot girl feminist heart was yeah. like, this will happen. Yes. But, but it was true. We had all of this kind of in a very short period of time, like so much had just come crashing down around us. And I had very much been like, I really want to ask him to marry me, but it's not the right time. It's, you know, how can we do this? And I had talked to some friends. I had talked to my mom uh, my mom was actually very integral in being like, "Hun, this is marriage. <laughs> like, this is the stuff that you're gonna have to be have to weather through. Like, so if yeah. it feels right, yeah. like do it." Yeah. So I ordered the like little whistle rings from Etsy, um, and I had been waiting all day for them to arrive, not realizing that it was actually President's Day. And so I kept coming, like going up, checking the mail, getting really anxious, like wondering when they were there. And I got all the more anxious because it was like so beautiful out. It was snowing. I was like, I'm going to walk down the road. We lived in this like really kind of isolated area that you could like walk down the path and like no one would have gone there before. I was like, Wait, let me quick question. Why that day? It just because that was the day you thought the rings were arriving or was there significance to that day? It otherwise? was just the day I thought the rings were arriving and I'm very impatient. <laughs> um, I'm always refreshing my shit being like, when's my book getting here? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, like, I have really terrible, like 
like just sort of like buyer's remorse. Like I don't spend money on anything. So if I buy something, I'm like, this is it. I need it. And I need it now. Like I shouldn't have bought it anyway, but I did. So now I have to have it. Yeah. So it kept not coming. And then I kept getting anxious. So to distract myself, I just started obsessively cleaning the whole apartment, which I shouldn't do anyway, because as Joel mentioned, I have health issues. I have a connective tissue disorder. My body will fall apart. So I'm like, like literally like pulling the fridge out of place, like getting on my hands and knees, like just to the point that I am making myself like on the verge of vomiting. I am just so like my anxiety is just taking control. So when Joel comes home, I am like lying in bed, like just curled up, like defeated and he comes in and just all unaware of all of this, like comes in and just starts rubbing my back, just being like, oh, no, you're having a really bad pain day. Like, let me just come in and like take care of you. And I just start kind of like tearing up and then asked him to marry me, just being like, you know, I just don't think I quoted a Tom Colicchio thing because I'm really lame, but it's adorable. But I was like, you know how Tom Colicchio talks about how you shouldn't postpone joy? Well, Joel, will you marry me? And then he said yes. And then I just burst into tears, like uncontrollably. So beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Much longer till the rings arrived. (laughs) Oh, God, I don't even know. Probably like the next day. (laughs) Do you wear them? We don't, no, I have them in a bag. Um, we don't wear those. I like showed him where I was just like, look, they're like little, like, I I think I bought them for like $5. Like they are actually little like arcade, like whistle yeah, rings. Oh my God. Yeah. Wait, so you, have you had the actual wedding or are you still engaged? Oh no, we had the wedding. So the wedding was, yeah. it was November 17th, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, at my, is very, very small. Um, just again, health concerns. Yeah. Uh, so it was like 20 people. Uh, at my wonderful cousin's house in Hancock Park, uh, backyard, beautiful. Um, and yeah, and then, uh, Joel, did he take your last name? He didn't. I kept mine. He kept his, uh, because that paperwork is just ridiculous. And, you know, Dan and I talk about like, you know, we say we're doing that, but who knows if he'll really do the paperwork so much. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm very much enjoying the engagement and then especially with corona happening i'm like i'm in absolutely no rush we live together nothing will change when we make it official and it's gonna be the most casual thing like yeah backyard like it's not yeah the small backyard wedding is the best and i i remember people kept asking how's married life and i'm like not significantly different from long-term live-in relationship life. Yeah, I can't imagine anything like, being different, really. We got a Vitamix. That was yeah. awesome. We have, we have a Blendtec, but... Yeah. Know, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I, I always joke about um, the last... I love, I love that you did that. That's a beautiful story. And I'm so... I, what a small world. I'm so, of course, I know who you are. And I'm so glad that I've been chatting with your wonderful husband. I know. No, I, I'm amazed you recognized me. I, I oh joke that I'm, I'm secretly trying to thirst trap you into being my best friend with pictures of my pug. So Molly, I love your pug. What's your pug's name? Uh, Jolene. Uh, Jolene. 
yeah. obviously, because uh, she came here to steal my man. Um, yes. But yeah, oh I'll, I'll hand you back off to Joel. I was just like, no, you you have to know the full story of full how story. I and wrecked my body to you. Oh, you too. And of course, huge fan of Dummy, and uh, everyone should watch it. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> oh my God, I love Molly. That's such a no. small world. I love that. No, that's so great. Uh, that like, you know that she and I have like correspond on on DM on Instagram. Like we're friends. We follow uh, each other. I knew that you followed each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so I didn't finish the story though. The so the Dan yeah. Harmon part of this story is uh, so it was November of 2018. We got married, yeah. like Molly said, on the 17th, and then. Uh, it was very stressful. Even a small wedding is still like super stressful. And so the one day, uh, which was like that Monday, we were like, because we've been dealing with family being in town, we've been dealing with all this. We're like, we're doing something like we're now married. And again, it was a small backyard wedding. Like we're going to do something that's for us to celebrate. So we went to Little Dom's uh, to have dinner. And uh, so we go there and we're having this great night. And then like we're kind of, and again, like with Molly's health stuff, like we're, we're like, we, let's do something. Like we're not crazy like going out, but we're like, I don't know, yeah. we're here. Like what's, what's around here? Like what else can we do to like keep yeah. the night going? So we went to the drawing room. And uh, I feel like I remember this. You ran into Dan, right? So we ran into him and uh, like we were kind of sitting, like trying to, to leave him alone. But then uh, he kind of turned at one point and looked at us and was like, what, so what's up with you guys? Like, or like, what's going on with you guys? Like, That's so Dan. And uh, so we told him that we just got married, and then he was very interested in that. Like, so he was asking about it, and uh, we mentioned to him like that Molly proposed to me, and he actually then this was before you proposed. He was like. That's how I hope it happens with Cody. Like oh. he was like, I, I want that for her. Like I just really like want. Like, we had kind of like we had joked about it. I mean, it all yeah. really became a thing for me when, because to me, like I said to Molly, like I'm not a big wedding kind of. I've never had a dream of a big wedding with a white dress. That's not my thing. But like, would love to have. A, I love partying. I would love to have like a fun little party, whatever. But it's never something that was like, oh, I need to be proposed to. I need this thing. But my friend Sophia, one of my best friends, um, she got married. Uh, I want to say it was like early 2018, and her husband took her last name. And I just thought it was so cool. And it just got me thinking about like how few people I know who, you know, I know a lot of people who like hyphenate, but I know more people who just take their their man's last name for straight women, obviously. And like, I think that that is such a huge part of the the, the ultimate represent, representation of the patriarchy at work is that like that's still the norm to be yeah. absorbed by your husband and take his last name and have your kids take their last name. So you know, it was just one of those things that it got me excited about it. And I was like, that's interesting. And so Dan and I had a few conversations where I was like, would you ever like take my last name if, I, you know, if we got married? And he was like, well, you'd have to like propose like, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a <laughs> like you would have to obviously like woo me. And I was like, of course. And so I started like marinating over it for the next couple of months, just like as a joke. And then I got more and more serious because I was like, I know I want to be with this person forever anyway. I do think it's fun. We were going to Tahiti for the holidays. And so like a month before 
my friend Sophia, the one whose husband took her last name. We were like at drawing room. I was super drunk. Both of us were drunk. And I went on my phone to kaysjewelers.com. <laughs> I'm going to get him a fucking. And I got, I had to get his old wedding ring from when he was married and measure that to know the size of what to order. But it was a little off. It was a little snug when oh. I wound up giving it to him. It was a little snug. We had to get it resized. But it was just the whole thing was just fun and me being like, this is fun. And I have and then the proposal itself was so fun. And it was just like a cool experience. And at this point, I'm like, whenever the whenever the actual wedding happens, I don't I could care less. But whenever it does happen, it's going to be really fun. But I'm definitely in no rush to do it before there's like a vaccine and it's completely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even though I want to do like a super <laughs> small thing. I'm just in no rush. Yeah. I like fiance. Like people, yeah. people. Have thing it's more fun to say i think fiance uh, oh but i i don't want to forget to the one other thing that i did when i talked to him so i told him the same thing i told you about just the point in my life and how like i wanted to marry her but it was this really low point and the thing that he said that was very sweet was he was like yeah no he was like that's great i totally know what you mean and like that's how you know that she really loves you and he was like i had a similar thing with cody when like he was like you know, there, there was all this stuff going on. It was when like the people were like, there was backlash and people were like upset and trying to get Rick and Morty canceled. Yeah. Like when all of that was out, but it was just, I just remember that. Cause he was like, it was just fascinating to me that he was like, yeah, I went through the same thing, you know, like when you were let go from your like shitty day job that you didn't like, it, it, it's it the, same. the same thing. And yeah. you know, that's interesting that you say that because when I wrote dummy, you know, obviously a big Part of it is just this idea of like being in a relationship that has a, a power dynamic that is, you know, not equal and that, you know, the finale episode is called plus size plus one. But like the idea that I always felt like Dan's plus one and I wrote into that for, for season one of Dummy and I got a message from a nurse who loved the show and she just reached out and was like, and I just so related to like the power dynamic thing. I'm married to a doctor who's like this prolific doctor and I'm a nurse, but like whenever we go to like functions, it's always this thing of like, oh, you're the doctor so-and-so's wife. And it's like, no, she's her own, like she's yeah. her own. And so it just was cool to, to um, have it hit someone in a totally different world, but it's all the same shit. It's all just human yeah. shit. All, it's all the same shit, different day, different person, different state. But like that was very cool to be able to realize that, you know, you can write something that is so specific, but also can reach people beyond the that beyond the ones that can relate specifically to that shit. You can reach other people just by human stories. I haven't forgotten. I'm still supposed to describe the show. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. We're yeah. so tangents. I'm sorry. Yeah, Am I yeah. a terrible no, no. no, this is great. I feel like I'm like, I feel like I'm all over the place. I like this though. This is fun. No, I'm enjoying this. So, but okay. So dummy, if people have not seen it, as you said, it it takes place. It's sort of loosely based on your real life. Uh, It takes place early in your relationship with Dan Harmon. Anna Kendrick is playing you. Donald Logue is playing Dan. Uh, He famously, he's talked about this, has a sex doll that he had before he was with you in the show you the the sex doll and the cody character form a friendship and the sex doll who is named barbara uh that's named after my dog barbara who's named after your dog barbara uh they they form a friendship to to write a pilot uh 
for essentially the show that is like they're they're writing the show that they're in. The show about show, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Meredith, I must point out Meredith Hagner is who does the plays Barbara. It's not just her voice; it's also like her, we captured her facial expressions and and applied them to the the CG model. She was she's one of the fucking funniest people I've ever <laughs> met in my life, and like so many of the best moments are literally just like improvised stuff between her and Anna because they just hit it off and were so funny together. But anyway, yeah. everyone everyone who worked on it was amazing. But like shout out to Anna and Meredith for like for real realizing this crazy idea in my head and bringing it to light to life in a way where I was like, whoa, OK, this makes sense. This is <laughs> like an insane fever dream. So how did um, but I'm curious about the for the casting like how particularly for Barbara like I, I'm curious what you were looking for and then uh yeah to cast yourself and so for the casting of myself it was more just like once we knew it was going to happen at Quibi one of the things was like it just we want part of Quibi was like trying to get star power so they were like we want to find someone to play Cody that's like you know a, a name and so I was like, good luck on that. That's not going to happen. And I went back to working on kidding. And I was just like moving on with my life thinking it wasn't going to happen. And then all of a sudden I get this call being like, Anna Kendrick is interested. And I was like, what? Anna Kendrick? I don't like in my head. I was like, I don't think she's right for it. But I also knew she was like an amazing actress, but I just never seen her play a role that would make me think like, oh, she's right for it. But at the same time, I did know that like, I remember one time someone saying I looked kind of like Anna Kendrick. And I remember that and I was like, let me think about it. And I was like, well, whatever. She's, you know, a famous, um, like, I knew how talented she was. And I was like, I might as well just meet with her and see. She likes it. So we met and we met for dinner and it turned into like a four and a half hour long, just like we in, in, instantly bonded, connected, started talking about like the raunchiest shit, just like, you know, <laughs> talk about the script, but so much more. And I was just like, holy shit, she's perfect. And I knew that if her involvement wasn't going to be just as a star that it was to, you know, possibly be executive producer too. And because we just connected sensibility wise, like so intensely right away, I was like, this is, I, I know she's perfect for it. And then with the role of Barbara, we held auditions and we saw so many amazing women and like, so many of them could have been like a great version of Barbara. And there were a couple that I was like, Oh, that could be this one or this one. And we had a day of callbacks. And I was there for that day because we were getting close, like everything was in such a rush because Anna's schedule that we had to accommodate. So um, I'm there in person to do the callbacks. And then there's a, a woman there, Meredith Hagner, who I've seen from Search Party and thought was really funny. This wasn't her callback. This was just her first audition. She was available because she was in town. And she came in the room and just like did a version of Barbara that was in so many ways, so different than I had imagined her. And then just at the same time, me going like, oh, that's Barbara. Like it was like, it all clicked. And I was like, oh, that's Barbara. So then it became a thing of like, because Anna was also executive producer, she would weigh in on these decisions and I wanted her to. So I remember like there was, it was kind of between Meredith and one other woman who was also crazy talented, but very different performances. And I remember sending them both to Anna and I didn't know Anna that well at this point. But I was like, we were, we're working together on this thing. And I was like, I'm going to send her both and see which one she likes. I'm praying that she likes who I like. And like we got on the phone and we were both. And now we joke about it because we both were really nervous that the other person was going to like the other person. <laughs> but we both liked Meredith and we were like, yes. And then it was just like she was incredible. And she, you know, to her credit, this is insane. Not only is she just like one of the most 
naturally hilarious, like nuanced, just incredible comedic talents out there. But on the very first day of production, she found out because everything was so rushed, I was finding out that like literally she could not move her body or neck at all. She had to act just with her face because she had tracking markers on her face that we needed to photograph and apply that to the thing. So she just had her facial muscles to use to like communicate the comedy and what she was able to accomplish. I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable. She's like truly, uh, yeah. And Anna, I mean, I mean, Anna, obviously everyone knows Anna's amazing, but Anna is like a professional in a way where I'm like so blown away, so blown away by like just every level, like she could be directing and writing and doing everything. Like she's just so fucking, she knew, and like the way she interacts with the camera department and she knows exactly like where she's like, yeah, let me get all to move over here. Perfect, perfect. And then like the way she hits her marks were just like, you you almost think that she stopped doing the scene and she's just being in real life because she seems so natural. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh wait, we're rolling? I thought, and then the other like really funny, whatever dumb thing was just that because she was playing me, there would be a lot of days where like the Beth Morgan was my wardrobe designer and she was incredible. And um, she really looked at like what I wore <laughs> and used that as a model for like what Anna would wear. And uh, there would be days where like I would show up on set and get seated at Video Village and Anna would come out from her trailer and we'd both be wearing like, a beanie and like a sweatshirt and like the same tennis shoes. And so that was funny. <laughs> um, and then we also, there's one other little tidbit that I will mention, which was while we were shooting the show, I became, I had this idea. I always, whenever I'm working on a show, I like to make like kind of like a show within the show sort of just fun thing for myself. So like while I was on Kidding, I made this thing called like Weekend at Cody's, which is basically just like I'm sleeping all the time on set and just like me being this like whatever. But for for Dummy, I started making this thing of trying to get Anna Kendrick to follow me on Instagram. And it came from a real place of like at the beginning, I was just like, I wanted her to follow me on Instagram because she has like 15 million followers. She doesn't follow <laughs> So I was like, I decided to make it into a joke. And I was like, Anna, I'm going to make this thing. And it was like on the first day, I was like, I'm going to make this little like fake thing. Can you pretend to be like talking to Donal and tell him you want to follow him? And then we, so there was a whole show within the show on my Instagram stories of trying to get Anna Kendrick to follow me on Instagram. She still has not to this day, even though we're like real friends in real life, she still has not followed me to this day. And I hope that this bit goes on forever, but I want <laughs> to add installments, obviously, but like, it's uh there would often be days where she's like cody what do you care about more like dummy or trying to get me to follow you on instagram like you're prioritizing the wrong thing so i'd be like anna and i want to give you a note on this thing and she'd be like okay i'm ready and i'd be like so uh with the instagram thing when i and it was like, <laughs> like get serious um i don't know did i answer yeah. whatever the last question was yes yes uh i am curious so you said i caught that you said season one of dummy, which obviously, yeah. uh, do you, do you think there will be a season two? Do you have plan? Like, do you, how far out have you thought about dummy? Like in your mind, if you were allowed to make it for as long as you want, like what, how long do you think? I think there's a world where it could go for a while. Um, but I also think there's a world where it doesn't go for a while. Like I can yeah. see it going right. I'm very open to like, sounds really cheesy but i'm very open to just being like what what does the universe have in store there are so many different but i have to say i love 
Barbara and Cody and I love Anna and Meredith so much that like the idea of working with them and not only them, like the crew was so amazing. We had mostly female department heads. Everyone was incredible. It was this like magical 18 days of production. The idea of doing that again is so exciting. And the, and the fact that like off the top of my head, I could immediately come up with like so many different adventures and shenanigans for Cody and Barbara to get up to makes me be like, I want to make a million more. <laughs> but I'm very open to what happens and, you know, wanting to also at this moment make something like be a meaningful part of the solution to what's going on with, with us having this reckoning with the industry. And like, for me, you know, it's, it's like loaded, it's complicated. Like I, I look at like, okay, well, season one, I had this thing where I was like, so proud of, oh, I have mostly female department heads. And it's like, now I look back and it's not even, you know, it's a year later and I'm like, yeah, they were mostly white. Like I'm already starting to be like, I need to do better with that. So like the idea of having more opportunities to do better and help be on the right side of things and help amplify melanated voices and all of those, you know, all of that work that I think, and I hope most people and white folks are doing right now of like looking inside and being like, okay, what are the things that I have been doing wrong that I need to do better that, you know, so I think it's a complicated time and um, I kind of want to like feel it out. And I'm also like, when are, when is, when are productions actually for real going to start up? I think, you know, we'll start to see a couple of them start up and we'll see like what happens because when you're, especially on something that's not super high budget, like you're crammed into little spaces with a bunch of people. Like it's not just about like, how many characters are actors having sex scenes? It's like makeup and lighting, all those things, everyone is crowded in together. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But I also think I am very interested in getting into animation um, because I think, especially with what's going on right now, like animation is something that we can actually make while we're still kind of quarantined. Um, so who knows? But bottom line is love dummy, would love to do more also very like open to whatever is going to be is going to be um there's no official order for for season two yet but um i do think i know that jeffrey loves it like which has been super cool for him to you know you know it's jeffrey katzenberg i'm just like oh you're this like <laughs> fucking legend or whatever um and just the fact that he's an older gentleman who like got got the show and wasn't just like what is this insane dribble it made me be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so overall, I will say like my experience working with Quibi and with Whip, who is my studio, was just like, could not have asked for better partners in this thing. It was just truly like a, you know, hate to say the word, but blessed experience where I was like driving to work every day being like, oh my God, this is the first time I felt like actual fulfillment and like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing with my life and, you know. That's what I, that's what I hope you feel every time you come to the mic for your podcasting. <laughs> I do. No, it is. This is, yeah. No, I, I really do like, that was my sincere thing to go all the way back to the beginning is like, I do feel like this has been a way that I connect with people and I do really enjoy that. And, um, but yeah, no, I, I love this show. I, I imagine it's gotta be, yeah. Like, so there's the Quibi thing, which I think we've kind of talked about, but then there's also the show got released during the, quarantine. You know, the quarantine. Yeah. So it's been an, an 
it's interesting because I think right now they're actually trying to do a little like extra, like not a relaunching, but I think they're gonna um, they're gonna release the Red Band trailer and just try to be like, oh, for anyone who might have missed it, like here's the show because I think everyone is just sort of like I don't know, I don't want to speak out of school, but like I think there is just such this uh, there's such a an attitude about Quibi right now that it's a weird place to be in because it's like well. They've been nothing but amazing for me. I got to make my show there that I wouldn't have been able to make anywhere else. I'm proud of it. I want people to watch it. Um, but also the world is in, a, in a, is in a crazy place. But yeah, when it came out right in the middle of, you know, Corona being a thing, it was, you know, in my head the year before, I was like, oh, when it comes out, I'm going to have people over and it's going to be, a big, you know, we're going to have like a party and I'll bring the doll. And I was like so excited. And then it was like, just a non day, like no different from any other day. Like I had been up until the last minute doing changes to the VFX. So I literally had watched everything so many times that I, it was, there wasn't even a part of me that wanted to watch it on the app at that point. Cause I was like, I literally see, I know every single frame of every, you know, cricket chirp of the show. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I hope people, I hope people will check it out that haven't checked it out. Um, and I hope people, I don't know. I feel like, uh, I'd rather than see the show and, and hate it and have legit criticism for it than just not see it, but hate on Quibi. I don't know. I, maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe I, maybe no one should see it. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? I think people should see it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think it it's very funny. I, I love the way that you play with the, like, again, because, you know, a lot of this is stuff that people know, but, like, I don't know, the the robbery scene alone is, I think, worth... That's one of my favorites. Yeah, like, that scene is so funny, and so... Like, guy, Adam, he's... Fuck, I can't remember his last name. He is so funny. Yeah. But it, it's the whole thing. I mean, he's great, but it's, like, the, the sending the text, like, the right. whole, like, conversation. Like, no, that scene is fantastic, and, like... Thank no, you. just all the running like jokes about uh, people telling you what a genius Dan Harmon is and like just no, it's it's wonderful. Their chemistry really is great. I would love to see future seasons where they uh, go on adventures and I want to know about this. What is it? The Tooth Fairy stripper pilot. Like, I want to know. I know. I we got to I got to get into that one. I mean, you know, that that came from when I was before I wrote Dummy, I was like trying to write a new pilot and it was like right after i'd broken up with my old writing partner not romantically we were like writing partners we split up and i had to write a new pilot and i had already started dating dan and i was like really intimidated by his talent wait did i already say some of this because i did another interview earlier and i'm like did i say this on this or no no i, I didn't say that i don't right. think so no okay good. so i basically was working on this thing that the tooth fairy the tooth fairy thing is sort of derived from which was um it was like a, a pilot about a woman who like when she's when she's like 12 or 13, she gets into Wicca and she makes a deal with the devil because she wants bigger tits and she doesn't read the fine print. And then she realizes like when she's like 30 in a total mess of a woman, she realizes like she promised a firstborn, but she's <laughs> no way like at all ready to like have a kid or like in a relationship or anything, but the devil comes and is like, you owe me a firstborn. And then like through their relationship, he realizes that like, she's actually way more fucked up than he is. And he has to like rein her in during the pregnancy. 
maybe I should go, maybe I should write this next. I love this. Yeah. I was working on that and I just wasn't like making headway. I was getting stuck in my own like bullshit over it. And Dan and I had this almost like fight where I was like trying to get him to give me notes on just, I didn't even have a script. I was like, so I was like, so then this happens. And, and we, and he was like, it just turned into a fight because at that point in the relationship, I still idolized him and thought that I needed like his approval and his validation for my own writing, which now I've learned is like such an unhealthy, terrible thing for any relationship. Yeah. But we had this sort of fight where he was like, well, I'm not going to like write it for you. Like maybe you're not a writer if you don't like write, like, like if you, maybe you like the idea of being a writer. Cause if you were a writer, you would just write, you just have to, it's like sucks. Writing sucks, but you just have to do it. And he gave me this advice of like, just write something terrible for the sake of almost make it a sarcastic draft of something where it's like, you just write and you're never going to show anyone and whatever, write about anything to get it out of your system. And I was like, went away from that conversation being like, number one, fuck you. I fucking hate you. Like I am a writer. And number two, like, (laughs) okay, I'm going to listen to your advice. But number three in real life, I, you know, the sex doll thing was the thing that was in existence that I did have like hangups about that. I was like trying to pretend weren't there and be like, I don't give a shit. But I just was like, I'm going to write this thing. What if the sex doll came to life and she became my friend and like fucked Dan and like the two of us are friends and whatever. And I wrote this thing. And then, you know, that's how it came to be. I weirdly relate to that so much that that's like I I know those exact feelings of like, oh, yeah, well, then I'll show you that I'm a writer. (laughs) No, no, I love that. But no, I I'm serious. When you talk about animation, I think animated the devil and the the pregnant Wicca, like I I would watch that. Like that's a good pitch. Uh, I I think Dan actually has something happening soon with a devil thing um, set up at FX that is probably too similar. But that's okay because I have another animated idea that <laughs> I'm excited about to start working on. But uh, no, I think the world of animation is is really uh, fascinating and one that I want to explore, especially after having done Dummy where. I did do so much VFX work and learn so much about like what it is to communicate with like limited expressions with animated faces. Um, And what's interesting is I started thinking about animation and and, like one of my favorite shows growing up was Dr. Katz on. Oh yeah. Yeah. Such a simple premise, but it works so well and the characters and Ben and the dad, their relationship. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. But anyway, I've always loved cartoons and I was thinking about like, well, there's not that many cartoons that are, created by women there's very few like even daria i think have like a male co-creator or something so i just found that very interesting and then i started watching some more animations and some female ones and like this is no dig at all to any like i'm in awe of all female animators all female creators in general but i did notice like the way they're drawn they're not particularly like beautiful for me and i was thinking about like as a woman, the kind of the way that I'm not, I don't know how to draw, but the kind of art that I'm drawn to looks very different than like what a cartoon looks like, which is a little more like looks like it was drawn by a man. And so I just started to explore the idea of like having a show that was animated very much like how a woman would draw something and just looks very beautiful. And that like a person would want framed one of the, one of the stills framed on their wall, you know? Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to draw. So this is all, I, mean, I should just do a podcast. Cause this all seems like way too much. I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. 
Well, yeah. I mean, we can get you on a podcast. Like, that's easy. Podcast is like 10 minutes to set up. And then it's just oh, this. Well, I can see your mic. It's all professional and shit. Like, this took whole- years, though. Like, this was this is trial and error. Like, this is what I figured out. But like, you no. I'm going to sound okay on the, on the audio version of this? Yeah, you're going to sound fine. Like, it'll be good. When is when does this come out? Uh, probably next week, I think. Like, I haven't officially planned because I this came together very quickly, so I haven't figured I'm out. I'm so glad you reached out. It was yeah. such a like such a true pleasure talking to you, and I cannot believe that your beautiful wife is Molly. I mean, I can't believe it because you guys are perfect together. It's just a small world that it happens to be Molly, who I of course know and recognize. That no, that makes it. I'm sure that she's very happy about that. That's awesome. I'm so. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that uh, that you reached out over Twitter. Yeah. No. Um. Did I? Is there anything my I didn't? Offer, my offer still stands to a to a reasonable extent. That if people who really want to hate on Quibi on Twitter, if they really want to hate on Quibi and they have not watched Dummy, but they hate on Quibi and they make a mean thing about Quibi, but they have not seen Dummy, I will pay for one month's subscription. For them over Venmo, Pay, PayPal I, is harder. For, I prefer Venmo. So if you want to reach out to me um, over Instagram or Twitter, but I can only afford so much because Quibi, despite it being like huge budgets, you think it's not. I didn't. I, I'm not a millionaire. Um, so, but up to a reasonable amount. Anyone listening to this, if you hate on Quibi, have engaged with with seeing this hatred about Quibi, but haven't seen Dummy and are curious. Hit me up, normal Heller on Instagram. I will pay a month's subscription to Quibi for up to a hundred people. Is that crazy? Wait, is that crazy? Hold on, let me do the math on that for one second. <laughs> I don't even know how much Quibi is. Let's say it's. Oh, yeah, I don't know how much. It is. Hold on, let's see. I just before I commit to this, yeah. 100 people okay yeah look like there is now literally no reason there up to a hundred people okay yeah so hit up and uh i don't know (laughs) it's a pleasure talking to you on this wednesday afternoon no this is great yeah thank you so much when you start your podcast let me know like anything you need i'll help you podcast network because i feel like i should just join your podcast network i do have a i do have a podcast network it's called peak sloth we would love to have you we need more female podcasters much like animators there are not enough uh female podcasters so very interesting i'm gonna think about this i'm gonna think about what my gimmick would be yeah but what my hook would be for a podcast because there's so many podcasts but you know no, and I 100% serious. If you have questions or anything I can help with, like, let me know. Like, this is not that hard. Trust me to, to oh, set up. You're the best. You're truly a gem. I'm so glad you reached out. I had such a great time chatting. I hope that I was an okay guest on your hobo radio. Hobo radio. Send my love to Jolene and Molly. I will do. All right. Thank okay, you so much. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Yeah, that that interview is cuckoo bananas fun is the way I would describe it. Like it I didn't know where it was going. Like it, it was very fun. It, it uh definitely like a free flowing conversation. Uh maybe you learned more about me than you ever thought you would. Uh I I probably shared more than I, I thought I would on the show. 
Uh, but that's, you know, it, it just, it was so much fun. Uh, love the, the guest appearance by Molly. Like that was such a cool moment. And I sincerely could have talked to Cody Heller for hours. Uh, it, and it, it just, yeah, it was a great experience. Hope you loved it. Definitely check out dummy on Quibi, you know, hit her up on Instagram and, uh, get her to Venmo you that, that $5 if you're on the fence about checking it out. Uh, hopefully we get more dummy and definitely get more from Cody because I'm excited to see what she does from here on out. And also if you did love it, uh, you know, came up in the show, I do have another podcast called Silver Linings Playback. Uh, you can check that out on hobotrashcan.com, which is also where you can see more episodes of this show. On that show, I, uh, me and my friend Andy McIntyre, we watch maligned movies and we find a silver lining in them. Uh, it seems like possibly we might get Cody on that show. So if that happens, uh, obviously check that out. But also check out the archives of Hobo Radio. We, we've really been kind of on a, a groove lately. I've really been digging the interviews we've been doing lately. Uh, you can go back and check them out. Recently talked to Karen Parsons, who played Hillary Banks on The Fresh Prince, who's doing some really cool stuff now. Uh, talked to Stephanie Smar, the finalist of Top Chef. Uh, Taylor Tomlinson, who has a really fantastic Netflix special. Uh, also posted um, a, a thing honoring Dennis O'Neill, who I talked to back in 2012, whose work I, I truly adore. And it was such an honor to get to talk to him. So definitely check that out. All of that can be found at hobotrashcan.com. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, question everything. You're the dummy that don't believe in science. All your projects always be denying. You're the dummy that don't believe in science. All your projects always be denying. Always be denying, hey, hey. We got words to say to you.
question to okay. end things sure because of your amazing radio voice mm-hmm. you or do you still do a lot of prank calls how do you feel about prank calls prank calls uh i was always scared like i was like as a kid i was too afraid oh, to do God, st- prank. i still prank call to this yeah. day do you- i think i know my sh- i think i know what my podcast should be prank call oh like the jerky boys you could be like the the jerky boys yeah my dad my dad used to play me jerky boys cassette tapes all the time yes <laughs> hobo radio is a production of hobotrashcan.com if you enjoyed the show please rate or review it on itunes Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. In a world where people watch movies. I think I'm going to watch a movie. Sometimes they don't like what they see. I don't like this movie. But sometimes they look for the silver lining. Wait a second. I like this part of this movie. Joel and Andy, do that work for you. The Silver Linings Playback. I like this part of this podcast where they tell me the part of the movie I like. Every Monday on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts.